Welcome to the Loss and Lifting Talk podcast. The show is created to help you find your confidence by breaking down the complicated science of training and nutrition and turning it into simple, but more importantly, practical solutions that you can implement right away to start creating real results inside your body composition. We don't stop there either. We dive into the mental aspect of fitness to not only build a better body, but a better life all around. Podcasts were the medium where I learned and grew as an individual more than any other place in my life. The goal of this podcast is to give that back to you to start building the exact body and life that you know you're capable of. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. What is going on, guys? Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have a Q&A episode on deck, so we're going to hop into a few questions that I actually received via TikTok. So with that said, um, really the only quote-unquote announcement that I have for you guys today before we hop into these questions is if you have questions that you would like to ask or if you listen to episodes of the podcast and as I'm explaining things, if that pops up questions for your personal situation or if you just didn't quite understand exactly what I was saying or how I was saying it, there is always a link down below this is lostandlifting.com backslash podcast to where you can go click on that link. It will shoot you directly over to the website to a page that has a form there that you can fill out that you can ask your questions. You can ask for clarifications. Um, you can ask for deeper deep dives, so to speak, um, or just recommendations for future shows, all that kind of stuff. You can go ahead and leave all of that in that form and that will submit that directly into my email inbox. And again, if it's a specific question that you ask, I will write back to you personally, giving you feedback, giving you answers or clarifications on things. And then as well, if I ever feel like there are helpful questions there that I could bring onto the show and answer publicly for all of the other listeners to be able to get value from as well, I'll certainly do that as well. So just know I want to be able to connect with all of you guys. I absolutely love the podcast listeners because you guys are the people who take dedicated time to be more intellectual, to learn more about this entire process and are really in a position where you're wanting to create change and you're curious and you're you're willing to put in the effort to get to where you want to be. And I really appreciate that. It's the same type of person that I am. Um, I've learned a lot through podcasts over the years. But the one thing that I never have really gotten from a lot of the helpful podcast that I've listened to is direct communication with the hosts of those shows. And the whole point of having that link down there is to give you guys direct access to me to be able to ask questions whenever you have them to be able to ask for clarifications or to be able to give suggestions, all of that kind of thing. So know that that is there for you. It is 100% available to you. I would absolutely love to be able to conversate back and forth. You're by no means bugging me in any sort of a way. I want you to communicate. I want your feedback. I want your questions so that again, I can just help you guys more and more. So um, with that, the only other little thing that I have here is that if you guys are finding value from the show, as I always bring up, I know I sound like a broken record, but as I always say, I'm going to continue to ask for it. I would be greatly appreciative if you are getting value from this, if you are taking pieces of content and able to implement them into your own journeys, into your own mindset, into your own life, and it's helping you. If you could leave the show a written rate or a written review, as well as a star rating, if you're listening to this on Apple, just because that's the only way for the show to be able to continue to grow in terms 
terms of Apple Podcasts. That's how the algorithm triggers that you're finding value from here and it pushes the show to more and more listeners. So I'd be greatly appreciative if you would go down below and leave it a, leave it a written review and a rating for all of you that have already done that, which has been a lot of you since I've been bringing it up consistently. I really do appreciate you all. Thank you so much. It, it really does mean the world to me and helps a lot more than you know. So I am going to stop rambling and we are going to hop into these questions. Question number one comes from Emily. She says, if I allow myself a refeed meal once per week, is that enough to keep biofeedback good or will I still need a longer diet break at some point? That's a really good question and it comes with a lot of terms there that I want to quickly break down before I answer this question. So when we're talking about a refeed, all that a refeed is is simply when you're in a diet and you're in a deficit, meaning you're taking a very short time frame, maybe like a one to three day time frame throughout that diet to where you're eating back up at a maintenance level of calories, just to almost give yourself a light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, to know that when you're dieting and you're feeling a little bit hungrier, that you know you have a couple days in the near future to where you're gonna be able to eat a little bit more food. It just allows you to be a little bit more consistent, and in some ways it can almost help with your leptin and ghrelin hormones, which are your hunger hormones essentially. It can help bring those back to a base line so that you're not experiencing quite as much hunger um, during the diet over the long run. So that's all that a refeed is, is just taking a short time frame and eating back up closer to a maintenance or maybe even in just a slight calorie surplus every now and again throughout the diet, just to give yourself a little bit of a break for adherence's purposes. When it comes to diet break, that is basically the same thing as a refeed, but it's a longer duration. So a refeed is typically, again, there aren't any like perfect rules for this, but a refeed is typically one to three days to where you eat at a higher level of calories to um, allow hunger levels to get a little bit better, to give yourself that light at the end of the tunnel to help with adherence, so to speak, as opposed to a diet break is usually a longer duration, right? A diet break most of the time is usually somewhere between like a week of eating at a maintenance or even a slight, slight surplus all the way up to one or two months potentially of eating up closer to a maintenance level of calories or maybe a slight surplus before continuing back into the diet into the future, right? So it's just a short-term break. The longer the, the break is, like a diet break is longer form, which is going to help with hunger levels, help with recovery, give you um, some time above water, so to speak, out of that deficit to not be dealing with all the negativities that come from the deficit, which leads into the last term that I want to quickly just clarify for you all, which you brought up was biofeedback. And so biofeedback is what generally gets worse during the deficit, which are things like your sleep, which are things like your hunger levels, which are things like your energy levels, your recovery levels, your mood, your motivation. Those are all things that the longer you stay in a calorie deficit over the long term, the more negative those things become. The worse your sleep generally will start to get. The worse you'll recover from your training sessions and the harder and harder it will become to get stronger um, the longer that you stay in a deficit. Um, your hunger is going to get a lot worse. The longer that you eat less calories than your body burns, right? The hungrier that you're going to get over time as your, your hunger hormones ramp up and tell your body, Hey, you're not feeding me as much as, as I'm burning. You're you're forcing me to use body fat as fuel, as energy. I don't want to be doing this. So my hunger hormones are going to ramp up to try to get me eating enough food so I can just use food as energy. So I don't have to use body tissue as energy, right? So understanding that uh, like things like your recovery, your energy levels will decrease because again, you're having to use 
um, body tissue as energy, as fuel, as opposed to readily available food, which again is going to have your energy levels lower because your body's going to fight that by trying to slow down your energy levels so you don't move as much so that you don't have to use lean tissue because ultimately your body doesn't want to use lean tissue as fuel if it doesn't have to. Have to, it's smart. It's going to try to get around that. So your biofeedback generally gets worse over time the longer that you diet. And so her question, again, I'm going to Answer or ask it one more time because you probably forgot the context of it as I broke down those three terms. But I think they're very important for you to understand. Her question from Emily is, if I allow myself a refeed once per week, is that enough to keep biofeedback good or will I still need a full diet break at some point? And again, I think that that's a really good question that comes with obviously a lot of context, but um, it's going to depend a lot on how long your diet is. Right. If you're going on a three month diet, let's say you need a three month deficit where you're planning to lose roughly around like one to one and a half pounds per week. You've got, let's say, somewhere between like 10 to 20 pounds to lose. If you can um, if you can be in a diet for, let's say, a 12 week period, you're going to lose around that 12 to 20 pound marker. Um, You could just implement maybe one refeed per week or one refeed every couple of weeks and get through a three-month diet without your biofeedback getting so poor that you're going to need a diet break in that time frame for the majority of people, right? So three months or less in terms of a diet, I'm never really looking to add an actual diet break for somebody. We're just implementing shorter-term refeeds. Um, But again, let's say that that diet, let's say that you've got 50 plus pounds to lose. Well, that's going to take more than a 12-week period because, again, we're looking to aim for around like 0.5 to 1% of total body weight loss per week on average, which is generally going to be somewhere between like a half a pound up to two, two and a half pounds, three pounds max on week per average for highly obese people. So if we have that higher amount of weight to lose um, and we've got a diet for four, five, six, seven plus months, then looking at diet breaks might make a lot more sense. Meaning, okay, so if we've got that far to go, if we're going to diet for six months in a deficit, maybe what we, we want to look at doing is maybe we'll, go, we'll be in a deficit. We'll break this up into three chunks with diet breaks in between. Right. So maybe we're going to go two months in a deficit with maybe like one refeed per week just for an adherence measure so that we're not always in the diet. and We have a short term um, landmarker to shoot for in terms of we're going to have this one day to where we're going to be able to eat more food. It's going to help keep you more adherent. But the longer that you stay in that diet, the worse biofeedback is going to continue to get over time. Right. Even that one refeed per week isn't necessarily going to fix your biofeedback markers. That one day at maintenance isn't a long enough time span at maintenance that your hunger levels are going to be okay, that you're going to continue to have high energy levels, that you're going to be able to continue to recover from your training sessions, that your motivation is going to stay high. That six-month time frame is a long time frame, right? That one refeed per week isn't enough to keep biofeedback good in most cases. Again, some people, it might, the majority of people, most likely not. So this is where we would look at splitting it up into chunks, right? Going two months in a deficit, and then we would take like two to four weeks at maintenance to allow that biofeedback time to come back more positive for a longer time at maintenance, two more months in a deficit. Maybe again, we're looking at another two to four weeks at a diet break and then two more months in the deficit. So we essentially ended up spending six months dieting, but with that, we gave ourselves anywhere from, um, let's say what, like six to six to 12 weeks 
diet breaking during that process to try to keep biofeedback as good as possible throughout that process as opposed to just trying to diet straight for six months. That's going to be a hell of a lot harder to adhere to because by month three, month four, your metabolism is going to be getting a little bit slower. So you're going to have to continue to um, decrease calories potentially. Your hunger levels are going to get higher. So it's going to get harder as you continue to decrease calories. Your motivation is going to get lower because you're going to see that you still have a long ways to go inside of the deficit before you're finished, um, which is just going to allow that to get worse and worse and worse over time. But if you know you're dieting for two months and you're like, hey, I've got a two to four week diet break coming up soon to where I'm going to be able to eat more food, that's going to keep you a lot more adherent. That's going to keep your head above water and, and keep you more motivated to keep pushing forward, knowing that you're going to have a little bit of a break. And you take that break, you allow leptin levels to get better, ghrelin levels to get better, energy levels to get better, recovery to get better, motivation, mood, all to get better, sleep to get better, you're feeling better, you're back to um, homeostasis, you're feeling good, then we go back through that diet. Biofeedback gets a little bit poor as we continue, take that diet break. So again, it's going to be more about the length of how long you're going for that's going to depend on how many diet breaks you need. If you're somebody that has a lot of weight to lose, which a lot of clients that come to us, they have 50 plus pounds to lose, right? That's going to take some time. So we're looking at, okay, in the course of like the next nine to 12 months, we're going to be in a deficit but let's split this up into chunks so that we aim to lose anywhere from, let's say, 10 to 20 pounds per chunk in terms of anywhere from 8 to 16-week deficits with little diet breaks broken up in there so that you create a result. Then you learn how to maintain that result through the diet break, um, allow biofeedback to get stronger. And then as you're feeling really good after that diet break, we go back into the deficit and we start to create more results. So you'll create a result. You'll learn how to sustain that result in the diet break. As you get comfortable there, biofeedback gets strong again. You go back in and you create the um, further result, do the same thing, learn how to sustain that result through the diet break, go back into the diet. So that's how I look at diet breaks. Again, they're nothing magical. There's like magically fixing your hormones or magically boosting your metabolism or magically making you lose more fat. They're just there to help with adherence and they're just there to help biofeedback markers improve. They will slowly help your um, your hormones improve as well. Are they going to speed up your metabolism? No, they're definitely not going to by any means, at least through study up to this point. a lot of, For a long time, the thought was refeeds and diet breaks would magically speed up your fat your metabolism to keep fat loss going at a faster rate. Um, as more research has come out, that's kind of been debunked and it's more about the adherence measure of it and allowing biofeedback to stay strong so that you can give your, your head above water, so to speak, some time above water, um, throughout the diet to ultimately get to where you want to be and not just let biofeedback take an absolute hitting throughout hit throughout the process, which is going to downregulate hormones, which could then potentially downregulate your metabolism even further, which is then going to make fat loss even harder as opposed to taking those diet breaks if you have a longer duration um, of a deficit to go to ultimately get to where you want to be. It's just going to be a lot more sophisticated. It's going to be a lot more sustainable. Um, it's just going to be a lot more realistic for you to be able to stick to an approach like that as opposed to thinking, okay, I've got a deficit in front of me. I've got 50 pounds to lose. It's just time to start dieting and I'm going to diet until I lose this 50 pounds. Well, that's going to be extremely hard to stick with over the long term, right? If you'll um, switch that mindset to, okay, I'm going to lose 10 to 20 pounds from this, let's say 10 to 20 week deficit, then I'm going to learn how to sustain that. And then I'm going to lose the next 10 to 20, then the next 10 to 20. Well, that's a hell of a lot more realistic goal for somebody to stick with um, or time frame or um, 
blueprint, I guess you could say, to stick with because it's giving them those short-term targets to try to hit. So hopefully that answers your question, but that's a really good question, Emily. Question number two, which is going to be our final question for today. I've liked lately just doing two um, questions in these Q&A episodes because I feel like I can go a little bit deeper in the answers to them, which is hopefully giving you guys a little bit more value, a little bit more depth in terms of how to implement this kind of stuff into um, your own journeys and to your own knowledge. So as you guys know, I like to keep the Q&A somewhere between like 20 to 30 minutes. I feel like two questions at the moment is working out really well, which leaves me with plenty of questions on a weekly basis to be able to go through. I've got a whole list of them here. So um, with that, this is going to be our, our final question. Like I said, it comes from, I believe their name is Lemus. I apologize if I'm saying that wrong. It's either Lemus or Lemus. I would imagine it's probably Lemus. So the question is, is it better to keep the same weight and do more reps or raise the weight and do the same number of reps? That's a really good question. So you're basically just breaking down progressive overload, right? Should I do more? Should I aim to do more reps over time or should I aim to, to add more weight over time? And I would say in the reality of things, it honestly doesn't matter all of that much which of those you choose to do. What I like to do with the majority of clients that I work with is a, is a style called double progression, meaning we're, we're setting a rep range and we're aiming to get the majority of our sets at the top end of that rep range. Once we do get the majority of our sets at the top end of that rep range, then that's a sign that we want to increase weight once again, start back over closer to the bottom of that rep range and continue to increase reps until we get to the top end of that rep range once again, and then we'll increase weight and continue that cycle over time until we end up getting stuck and can't increase weight or increase reps anymore. And that's when it's a really good sign to potentially switch exercises, start with a different exercise at a different angle for that same joint, different levers um, to continue to push progress in that way before coming back to that exercise in the future and potentially trying to progress it again over time. So really when we're looking to build muscle and we're looking to train, we're looking to progress over time, right? But the reason that we're looking to progress is because we're looking to create more mechanical tension over time. And all that means is that we're creating, we're doing enough reps, enough effective reps that are relatively close to failure. And so what that means is if you're just adding weight each week, but you start with such a light weight that um, the amount of reps that you do, let's say on your 10th rep, that's where you stop. Let's say you did 10 reps, but you could have done 15, 16, 17, 18 reps. Then the next week um, you add more weight, but now let's say you do 10 reps again, and but you could have done 14, 15, 16, 17 more reps. You're not that close to actual failure in those steps, sets, to push along progress at a very efficient rate. The closer you train to progress or to, the closer you train to failure in your sets, the more mechanical tension you're going to create in those sets, which is going to lead to more um, more hypertrophy or more muscle growth or more muscle retention over time. And so that's what we're paying attention to. The reason that we increase weight or the reason that we increase reps is because as you push close to failure, you tend to get stronger over time. So to continue getting close to failure, we need to either add more weight or we need to add more reps to keep the intensity high enough to force, um, to force our body to keep progressing and to keep building strength, which is going to keep leading to um, more added lean muscle, right? And so that's the, pro that's the reason we add reps and we add weight. I think it's very important to understand that. And when you do understand that, you start to realize, okay, 
adding weight or adding reps really doesn't make all that big of a difference in the long run. But we could take this one step further and think about, okay, well, to build muscle or like to optimize my training and maximize my, my efforts and my time, what makes the most sense? At this point, when it comes to, okay, well, maybe I should pick a rep range to be training in the majority of the time if my goal is to, to build more lean muscle definition, right? And what probably makes the most sense for the majority of people is going to be a rep range of anywhere from 6 to 15 reps, 6 to 12 reps, 6 to 15 reps. Somewhere in that ballpark is going to make the most sense. If you have big compound lifts, doing them roughly around like the 6 to 10 rep range, more isolation type lifts, looking somewhere between like the 8 to 12, 8 to 15 rep range, um, as well as accessory lifts, the same as like that 8, 12, 8 to 15 rep range, probably going to make the most sense. Because if you're trying to do 20, 30, 40 reps, reps and get those sets relatively close to failure, you run the risk of burning out your cardiovascular system on rep 20, 30, or 40 before you run the risk of um, actually challenging your musculature system and, and in making sure that those reps are getting relatively close to failure, right? Plus those really high reps, it's going to push a lot more volume, which is going to push a lot more systematic, systematic fatigue, which is going to make it harder to get through those workouts. You're going to be a lot tired through those workouts as opposed to sticking around that 6 to 12, 6 to 15 rep range to where you're not going to build as much fatigue, but you're still going to be able to get close to failure within zero up to three to four reps shy of failure um, without creating as much fatigue, which is going to still produce the same result, but it's not going to come with as much of the negative aspect of it in terms of the fatigue that we'll be building at the same time. Right. So what I would say makes the most sense if your goal is to be building muscle over time and changing your body. If you have body composition goals, mainly to build added lean muscle tissue to your frame, to build more definition um, on your physique as you get leaner, I would be performing the majority of your lifts in that six to 15 rep range. Again, the majority of your compound lifts, like your big lifts that you do closer to the first of your workouts, somewhere between six to 10 reps on the majority of those. And then all of your accessory and your isolation lifts, somewhere between eight to 12, maybe even up to 18, eight, eight to 15 reps um, per set for the majority of those workouts. And then all you're trying to do is simply pick a weight that has you hit hitting relatively close to failure within those rep ranges. And then over time, continue to try to add reps to those um, sets that you're doing. And once you get the majority of your sets at the top end of those rep ranges, then it becomes time to add more weight. And then as you add more weight, you might have to do less reps up front. But as long as you're still close, training relatively close to failure and you're still within those rep ranges, um, your body's going to adapt. It's going to get stronger and you're going to be in a position to be able to continue increasing reps um, slowly over time. As your body adapts, which is going to push, continue to make sure you're training close enough to failure, which is going to, which is going to continue to create those adaptations over time and make your body continue to improve, progress, and get better over the long haul. So, I know that's kind of a complicated answer, but I feel like it's really important for you to understand the weeds to that question, to understand why adding reps or adding weight isn't going to make a huge difference as long as you're making sure the majority of your sets are in that six to 15 rep range and the majority of those sets are 
relatively close to failure, meaning within zero to four reps shy of failure roughly. And again, when I say failure, a lot of people always say, what do you mean by failure, training to failure? It just means to where you couldn't do another rep with the same form that you did in the first rep. So meaning your form stays spot on. It doesn't mean you're gonna go and like just try to wheel the weight up and, and sacrifice form to push weight. And once you can't push the weight anymore, that's when you hit failure. It's when you can't do another rep with really solid form. And as long as the majority of the sets you're doing are within zero to four reps shy of not being able to do another good another rep with good form, that's training close to failure or training close to failure. So that's what that means. Hopefully that creates some clarity around that because I know I've been asked that question a lot of times. But um, but yeah, hopefully that gives you a good understanding of why it doesn't matter if you're adding more reps or more weight. You should really be trying to do both over time in that 6 to 15 rep range roughly. That's what's going to lead to more adding more muscle definition to your frame over the long term. And that's just purely from a hypertrophy perspective, right? We're not talking about conditioning here and we're not talking about maximizing just your absolute strength in terms of like a one rep max here. We're talking about body composition. There's different types of training, right? There's complete strength training to where we're trying to get as strong as possible so we could do as much weight as possible for a one rep max in specific lifts. Then there's hypertrophy style training, which is training to essentially build muscle and change your body composition, which is what I just broke down for you there. And then there's endurance style training, which is training to be able to to go for longer endurances, right? In terms of like cardiovascular health, running, all of that kind of stuff. There's those three different styles of training. A lot of, and what the majority of people should honestly be focusing on in their training to improve their body compositions, lose body fat, and um, get to a better position in how they look and how they feel, the majority of that, I would argue, should be centered around hypertrophy-style training, which is what I just mentioned in terms of trying to progress lifts, get stronger, add more weight, add more reps, achieve that toned look for the majority of ladies who are looking to look that way um, is going to be training in a hypertrophic um, style for the majority of what you're doing again a focus on adding weight adding reps in that 6 to 15 rep range over time to change your body composition keep a strong metabolism um, have healthy joints overall have healthy ligaments avoid injury to the best of your ability so with that hopefully that answers that question I went really in depth I feel like I was all over the place but I wanted to give a lot of context for you there so hopefully it helped again I really do appreciate you guys for listening if you found value from this episode I would be very appreciative if you take a screenshot put it on your ig story tag me in it that way i can take um i can take that and i will post it on my own story i will send you a message personally thank you for doing so so that we can just continue to show people that you're finding value here to continue to create more listeners so we can continue to produce more episodes into the future so i really do appreciate you guys if you have any questions leave them in the link lostandlifting.com backslash podcast and i'll talk with you soon Oh, 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 oh,